This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Eric Barnes and Jack Frew. Hello and welcome to the Laravel News Podcast. This is our one-year anniversary from starting the podcast. And uh, I want to welcome everybody. I'm Eric Barnes, and with me today is Jack Frew. Hey, everybody. Happy one-year anniversary to the podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening for the last year, and uh, we look forward to bringing you more great stuff. It's, it's crazy. I can't, I can't believe it actually made it a whole year. <laughs> oh, no, don't say that. I thought, I thought it would make it. Uh, but, of course, the most important thing is you listening. None of this would matter if, uh, if we didn't have listeners, so we appreciate you listening and uh, the comments that you send us on Twitter and email and all that kind of stuff. For sure, for sure. All right, so let's jump into today's episode. Um, first up, I wanted to bring up the Hacktoberfest, which is in partnership between DigitalOcean and GitHub. And I don't know if you've seen this, but basically, if you, you register and if you create four pull requests on any open source project within the month of October, you get, at the end of the month, they will send you a free T-shirt anywhere in the world, um, which is, which is kind of cool. That's amazing. Yeah, so it, it you know it kind of kind of drives people to you know to try to start contributing to all these projects and to to kind of get more into the you know the open source community, which is which is a, a great initiative, I believe. Yeah, and one of the featured projects just happens to be Laravel. So if you want really? to contribute to Laravel, you can you can do it and and enter. And, and another thing that's cool is it doesn't matter what you're submitting a pull request for. You know, it can be code or documentation or anything. Now, do you know, does this, so you have to submit four pull requests. Do they have to be to different projects or can it be four to the same project? Uh, it can be to the same or different. It, the way they made it sound, it didn't, it didn't matter. Does the pull request have to be accepted? It does not specify. <laughs> and is it a contest? Like you're going to draw people from this? No, if... It's everybody. Well, that's that sounds pretty easy to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I have to do that this weekend. Get a free T-shirt. Uh, that now, by the way, uh, just to mention, so Eric, you were telling me right before we started recording that this article is on uh, Laravel-News.com. It's Laravel News podcast, and we always talk about audio. But um, I was looking at your website, Eric, and I have to say, I, I think it looks great. And one of the things that we were talking about was, um, you know, just. Eric and I were chatting about how many people visit his website, and and you'd mentioned that your website visitors were up the last couple of months. And then as I, I thought about it, when did you do the redesign? Because the website really looks great right now. And I, I was just going to say, if you're listening to this and you haven't visited Laravel-News in a while, uh, I think it's worth checking out. I mean, there's some good stuff there. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is probably still on the homepage as of right now. So uh, what do you think, Eric? Is this, do you think there's a correlation between your redesign? Uh, and the I, actually, I believe that's true. Yeah, the the redesign launched August sixth, and its traffic's been up basically since then. So yeah, I do believe there's a correlation there. Yeah, so I think that uh, maybe we'll have to revisit that in a future episode when there's a little bit more data and compare because boy, that that seems real um, real relevant to anybody listening, right? Is is can can something as uh, as I don't want to say as simple because it's a complex topic, but can something as core as graphic design and and layout you know, kind of drive how many people visit your site and how long they spend there. I think that's a, that'll be a neat topic when we get to that. Sure. Yeah. Well, I have to look, dig through the analytics data and see, and see all that. Yeah. Speaking of digging through data and looking at computer screens and all that stuff, 
Eric, you just got thrust into the limelight on the Hacker News homepage, I think, didn't you? Like, so do you want to tell us about this article you wrote about that and uh, and maybe also a little bit about what happened with Hacker News picking it up? Yes. Yeah, so, so last, I guess about a month ago, I went to the eye doctor and, you know, he's like, do you look at a computer? And I'm like, yeah, basically all day long I look at the computer. And, and he ended up saying that what I had was computer vision syndrome, which is... When you look at a computer screen for so long, you don't you don't blink the proper amount, and it dries your eyes out, and it can actually hurt your your um, I want to say tear ducts, but it, it might be something else in there. Um, but it has all these bad side effects, and um, and it can actually you know it will damage your your eyesight over time. And and what he did, the optometrist gave me a few tips, you know, as far as looking away and uh, you know putting like hot compresses on your eyes. And so what I did, I was like, well, I'm just going to write an article about that, kind of like a, a public service announcement since everybody that reads Laravel News. It, We're all computer users, yeah. Yeah, and, and everybody spends way too much time on the computer or, the, or a screen in general. Um, and then it was funny. I had second thoughts about actually publishing, and I was like, I'm not going to publish this because nobody really wants to read it. And then uh, I published anyway, and then I submitted the Hacker News, and it ended up kind of, blowing up and it actually hit the number one spot on monday so so it was it was kind of crazy i think i think it peaked out around i think it was like 800 visits online at one time you know it ended up being like almost forty thousand uh visits for the whole day and then it's it's kind of been trickling down throughout the rest of the week but yeah it was it was it was kind of unreal uh, that's, I think, I mean, it's, it, that's so relevant. Uh, obviously, the, the content is relevant to all the people that use computer screens, and I think that'll be useful. But also your experience. Now, you run your website off of PHP and Laravel, right? And do you host on DigitalOcean? Um, actually, this, I'm actually hosted on Linode, and I have okay. Cloudflare. Okay. Um, so, you know, your your stuff did it stress under the load? Like your site didn't go down or anything, right? No, it uh, it maxed out about twenty percent CPU on the the uh, Linode instance, and um, but yeah, it it didn't really. You know, I, I've got I've got it heavily cached, so that way it doesn't. I was gonna say you mentioned Cloudflare. Is that a caching system? Yeah, basically it uh, it helps prevent like DDoS attacks, and it also has other features. You know, where it can can uh, set up the uh, HTTP2 stuff and the, uh, what do they call that? Railgun, not Railgun, Optimize. Basically, it optimizes your images and, and it, uh, it'll it cache stuff too. So, so it helps out a lot as far as reverting traffic from what they call the origin server. Okay, nice. So those two things. And do you mind my asking on the podcast, what would you say, what do you pay for the combination of using Cloudflare and your Linode server? On a monthly basis, right now, what does um, that cost you? Linode is I'm on the ten dollar month box. I'm not even sure what size that is. And then Cloudflare is twenty dollars a month, so I spend a total of thirty dollars for the basically the hosting side of it. That's not bad. Thirty bucks, and and you you were able to survive a Hacker News, uh, you know, surge without having to do anything. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty great. Do you have anything else that you want to add about the? Vision stuff. So your doctor told you the syndrome. Uh, told you that it, you know, you could you could put warm compresses on your eyes and stuff like that. Um, did he say anything about like you know how people are talking about this blue light business? Did he say anything about that at all? Like, no, he he really didn't. Um, you know, as far as like the that app called like Flux, um, yeah. he said that that's mainly for like going to sleep at night. 
Okay. But he recommended that um, a method called 20-20-20. So every 20 minutes, you take a 20-second break, and you look at an object at least 20 feet away, and you blink 20 times. <laughs> wow. You got all that. Um, but uh, basically what that does is allow your eyes to refocus, you know, you know on something farther away and, um, and get you back blinking the proper amount. That sounds like an impossible thing. You know what I mean? Like I could easily see like, like going a whole day and forgetting to do any of that stuff, yeah. you know? There's some apps. I use the one called Break Time on Mac. And basically it, every 20, I have it set for every 20 minutes to take a one minute break. And the 20 minutes goes by like super fast. But, uh, but the app itself basically dims the screen and you can't cancel out of it or anything. So it's really, it, it forces you to actually do it. Okay. I might have to check that out. And that, that's worked fairly well. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm, uh, like about a decade older than Eric and my doctor told me, you know, like before I was in my forties, my doctor pretty much told me that when I hit 40 or, or, or give or take that certain things were going to happen to my eyes. And up until that time, I had, I'd been a glasses wearer. I have what's called an astigmatism. And if you don't wear glasses, there's two things that can go wrong with your eyes. One is the inability to focus at a distance and a regular pair of glasses fixes that. The other is that the shape of your lens is actually not perfectly smooth and spherical. Uh, I guess smooth is not the right part, but like, so what ends up happening is like an example I could give you is imagine you drew a line from left to right uh, it'll actually be blurred a certain direction only, right? Like regular people who have regular problems with their eyes, everything is just kind of blurred in all directions. But a line, for me, if I look at a line that looks left and right, the line looks really sharp because most of my blur tends to blur things to the left and to the right, but not up and down. If I take that same line, I rotate it 90 degrees, so it's up and down. Then what ends up happening is the line looks really blurry. And that's actually how I knew I needed glasses is that in high school, I had a, I think it was like a physics teacher. And he had this chalkboard with like graph paper on it. And the graph paper, like parts of the lines were fuzzy, but the ones going side by side weren't. And like I, as a, as a, like as a dumb kid, I was just like, oh, there must be something with that board. And for whatever reason, whatever he was trying to graph and, and demonstrate to us, he rotated the whole board 90 degrees. And when he did that, all of the lines that were fuzzy got sharp and all the lines that were sharp got fuzzy. And that's when I was like, I think there's something wrong with my eyes. I need to get this checked, right? So that was like a defining moment for me. But um, anyway, so my doctor had told me, though, that like come in your like 40s, things happen. And he's like, and at that point, he's like, you're going to need bifocals. And I hate to say this, but like one, he never told me about this 2020 thing. So now I'm kind of wondering like if maybe that could have been avert it like i think eric you're gonna have to be like our test case right like if you get into your like mid-40s and you're not using bifocals then then all this stuff worked <laughs> well i already can't see so i don't think i'm a good test case <laughs> what did you say you can't see what uh, yeah I, well i have a the same way i have astigmatism and i you know i can't see far away already and and i uh, had to get glasses last year so i'm, I'm not a great test case well, I think, the, you know, the point I guess I was making is he basically, my, my doctor, my eye doctor, pretty much predicted that I was going to need bifocals by a certain point. And, you know, I guess today they don't use bifocals, they use progressive lenses. So, like, bifocals, if you think about them, are, like, your grandpa's glasses that had, like, a, a very distinct region on the bottom part of the glasses that was different. And now they have these kind of, like, they call them, I don't know what they call them, progressives. So it doesn't look to to an outsider, it doesn't look like your glasses are bifocals, but to you, where you look through your glasses makes a difference so you might end up having to tilt your head in order to get your eyes to look through the right part of the glasses which is kind of weird and awkward but uh in any event yeah sure enough at uh like 45 for me he was like oh yeah you need you need bifocals you know 
And then uh, what I had him do, and this might be something for you to look at too, Eric. I had him give me a computer prescription for glasses, which yeah. is like engineered to be like, I think, I don't know, like 18 or 20 inches from my face. Maybe it's not quite that long. It, it, it But anyway, like I'm actually wearing those glasses right now and it's wonderful because everything is in focus and it, it's, uh, it's to me, it's much easier on the eyes than the bifocals are. Um, so I use the bifocal kind of stuff when I'm out driving and stuff like that. But when I'm at a computer, I've got a dedicated pair. And I got my pair. I don't know if you've ever done this, Eric. For those of you listening, at least in the United States, so yeah, I guess since this is a global audience, glasses in the United States are kind of a racket, right? Like you go to your eye doctor and then he ushers you into a room with a bunch of frames and it's like, it's just assumed that you're going to buy your glasses from the eye doctor, right? And I don't know what your glasses yeah, cost, Eric, but I... They don't even want to give you the prescriptions. They don't, right? I, I've i heard people paying $400 for a pair of glasses, right? Yeah. So uh, here's a couple of tips. If you live in the United States, your eye doctor legally has to give you your prescription. He cannot deny you that. Now, I don't think he's obligated to hand it to you without you asking, but you can ask for it, and he has to give it to you. Okay, that's one thing. And uh, the second thing is if you search for cheap glasses online, like the glasses I'm wearing right now that I just described, I think I paid like $20 for, you know what I mean? Like that's, that was with the frames and the lenses and the scratch coding and all that kind of stuff, you know, now uh, that might've been a deal. I don't know. know, A lot of these websites you go to, and if, if they don't see a cookie on your browser, they offer you a $5 coupon immediately for like signing up on their mailing list and stuff like that. But, um, glasses don't have to be as expensive as they are. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my money saving tip for the day. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say, I've, I've got the, uh, per, uh, the computer glasses. Yeah. I ended up getting two pair. I got the computer glasses and then I got the, the normal pair and, um, actually the normal pair I splurged and got the, um, transition lenses, you know, where they oh, yeah. automatically turn to sunglasses when it goes out, when you go outside. And uh, I love them so far. I think that's the best thing ever. Nice. Do you remember what you paid for all these classes? No, it was expensive. Okay. <laughs> of course it was. We're going to get a bunch of tweets next week from like people in countries that have like awesome health care. They're <laughs> going right. to be, like, be like, you know, the president of my country comes to my house and gives me free glasses. You know, And we'll, we'll hear from Adam from Canada. He'll be like, yeah, sorry, dude, that's all covered. Yeah, Canada probably has them all free. You just That's all covered. Go, you know. go somewhere and you tell them what you need and they give it to you. Or, or he'll say something like, you know, Canadians just have perfect vision. That's just a <laughs> Canadian trait, you know. It's from all the ice hockey. Um, so that's pretty cool. Now, we have a, do we have any other news to cover? I think we do, right? Laravel Valet, it came out with an update for uh, Mac OS, which Mac OS came out last week. And um, everybody started upgrading and started hitting problems. It was, it was kind of like the, the perfect storm because Homebrew came out with their first version one, like right around the same time. So, uh, and of course, Valet rel- relies on Homebrew for like the PHP and all this other stuff. And um, so for some people upgrading, they had no problems. For other people, they ran into weird edge cases. And then for me, I actually upgraded. I actually did a, a complete reinstall on my MacBook Pro um, of the hard, of the operating system. Yeah. And what I hit was Homebrew would not install PHP properly. Hmm. So, so I had to actually build it from source through Homebrew because of some bug report I found open. And then that fixed it. Um, so we, we've Adam Wathen, who who helped create valet or or did create valet 
he created a um, like a list of kind of the common problems, and he allowed me to cross-publish over to Laravel News. And with that, you know, you can go through and step through any problems you hit whenever you upgrade. And of course, Valet itself has been retagged since 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 all this happened. So hopefully, most of it's fixed. You know, as much as can be fixed is is fixed in the core. So the the summary of what you just said is that if you were a day one OSX Sierra upgrader. There were a couple of hiccups for Valet. They're all resolved now. And if you're using Sierra today, uh, Valet should be just fine. Should be, yep. And if it's not, okay. uh, look at the link in the show notes. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, you, know what, uh, you know what else got upgraded last week? I don't even know if we're allowed to talk about this on the show anymore, is MAMP. Uh, MAMP uh-huh. released 4.0 uh, last week. Interesting. I, uh, I launched it the other day and I saw this upgrade. You know what they've added in MAMP that they didn't have before? No idea. They added Ruby support. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So they've added Ruby support and they've added full Nginx support. If you had MAMP Pro, which is, uh, I don't know how many people splurge for the paid version, but MAMP, the free one, I think the free one gives you like one website and then you end up having to put everything in like subfolders. But the MAMP Pro is kind of, I guess, like Valet and that you can have as many, you know, as many websites as you want. You can call them whatever you want, that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't have the the cool automatic DNS mapping to a folder that, Valet has. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, so they, they added that. MySQL got an upgrade on that one to, I think, 5.6. And, uh, you know, they now have the ability to upgrade your languages within the MAMP product, whereas before you used to have to go download it and put stuff in a folder and that kind of stuff. So a little bit better. Um, and then the other thing I did is I, I, I hate to say this, I trashed Homestead. I, uh, I got rid of Homestead. Disappointed in you. Hey, you're not using it anymore, so don't don't go telling me I've got to. No, actually, actually, we actually we do still use it because um, what what I run into with like even like Mant is uh, our my main work product has all these weird PHP extensions it needs. Sure. And installing those into Mant was just impossible, and I didn't want to you know fiddle around with trying to set it up in in Valet on my main machine because it's just uh, so. So basically, I still use Homestead for for all for my that. development yeah. on my desktop. Well, for me, it freed up uh, about twenty gigs worth of space. Right. Getting rid of you know because I had a Homestead VM for every project. You know. Oh wow! Yeah. So yeah, I just use one for everything. Nah, I had one for every project, which actually worked out pretty well. Except for um, for me, what I found is that when I was uh, and I've been just for you know for reference, I have been probably a little lacking on my Laravel experience in the last, let's say, three months. I've been doing some other things at work and, and the side projects I have haven't been getting a lot of love and attention. So the uh, the thing I found is that like the more time away, the more all these little pieces start to slip and you're like, where did I leave this and where is that? You know, that kind of stuff. So um, so anyway, so I upgraded MAMP because that came out and I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still thinking I might I might try out Valet as well. I haven't tried it yet and everybody that seems to use it loves it. I just saw a tweet from... Uh, Taylor that basically said it was like it started as a joke and I I don't think he meant like a joke on the public I think he just meant like between him and Adam like you know you know like we should do this yeah and then, and then they did it and he, he said it's like it's our best work you know so <laughs> yeah I, lo- I love ballet I mean especially like on my I have it on my laptop as my primary as my only um, local server and and just having it running and automatically you know dumping the folder in there and uh and having it automatically set up and ready, I, I like it. Yeah, and one of the things. So one of the things I thought about is: does it, would it make sense to use Valet for its web serving? But you know, you still have to install a database server with Valet. 
you know, would it make sense to just use the database server from MAMP on that, right? And that way you still have a well, kind of an interface to it. And, you could use that. You could use SQL Pro too, or SQL Lite, and then um, or um, I think I, I've installed. Uh, I use that MariaDB. Maria is what they said in the documentation, and I, that yeah. sounds like that's the lightest weight one, right? Right like from yeah. a capacity perspective. So. Yeah, so maybe next week I'll do valet. I've, I'm I'm still holding off for security reasons, but it, looking at the documentation, it looks like they make it pretty easy for you to spin it up and down now, and and maybe even to uninstall the the daemon. Yeah, it's, it just has the command. Yeah, the valet valet start and valet stop. Yeah, I think I might go there. I don't. You know, the thing is, it's so stupid because it shouldn't be a factor. It's the same reason I don't. Uh, do you do you have VMware on your machine? Like, do you run any Windows stuff in your Mac? Uh, no. I try, I try to stay away from Windows. <laughs> so here's the thing. Like I, so first of all, in case you don't know in the audience, I know Windows inside and out. Like I can look at crash dump files. Like I, you know, I'm, I, I'm no stranger to Windows, and I'm very comfortable with it. I, you know, some people are like Windows is no good. I'm not one of those people. I think Windows is great, right? But I have a Mac and I have VMware, and I, you know, I, there are certain tools that I need for certain things that can only run under Windows. And like Eric, I avoid those tools, right? I try to find things that are Mac native, you know, to, to do things right. What I find is just the resistance of starting up stupid at VMware and launching into windows. Like that's just enough for me that I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that right now. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so stupid because it shouldn't be a thing, but it is a thing. Right. And it's, it's really, I think it's a real thing because it's been talked about before, like every step that we can do for developers that lowers the barrier to entry helps and i think that's where valet is appealing to me is that like right now even if i want to do some development i still have to go into map i have to configure it i have to hit start you know and valet is just there you know it yeah. just works and the idea that if you're sitting down watching tv one night and you know you can bring up a website because it's already running and then you can start changing some code and go back to that website and like i don't know it's just uh it's a weird psychological thing but you know for me it's a you know it's a real thing at least at least for me yeah for me too yeah um, let's see. Do we have anything else to cover? Or is that it? I think that's it. I, I, can I do a plug for some product that has nothing to do with this podcast? Sure. All right. I'm going to do a plug for a product that I tried, like, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago. And this, like, completely consumed me for two weeks. So just, you have been warned. Uh, there's a, there's a game called Factorio. And I, Eric, I think I sent you a link to it. I don't know if you looked at it. But it's on Steam now. It's technically an alpha, but the game seems pretty polished. Like, I, you know... I didn't run into any crashes or bugs or any of that kind of stuff. Like it was pretty good. I think this game would appeal to a lot of developers because you try to think of how do I explain it in a way that people will understand it. There is a, there's a genre of games where you have to like, uh, well, first of all, so uh, it's a, it's a two dimensional games, not 3d. Uh, if you've ever played command and conquer, I think that's the biggest like one in that genre where you've got, like a person and you've got to go mine resources and then you build things and then you upgrade your technology and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of like what this game is. Like civilization or something. Maybe a little bit like civilization, but uh civilization to me is more like turn based. You know, you kind of do things and then there's a turn and then things happen, you know? Uh whereas like Command and Conquer was real time, meaning that like while you were doing things, somebody might attack your base and and while you're not directly at, like fighting the other people you have to direct like your tr- troops like you'd click on your troop and you'd click on the enemy and then they would go fight the enemy kind of thing you know um but the thing about this factorio is it has like conveyor belts right and you can like be where the coal is and you could be like mining the coal and if you lay down a conveyor belt 
you can move the coal from like the coal area to an area where you would use the coal, right? Whether it's for power generation or coal combined with certain ingredients makes, you know, other things, stuff like that. So what is, what is the goal? What are you, you're building, I guess, a factory? You're building a factory and and being that the game is still an alpha, I think the goal is a, a little bit unclear. Part of the game is what I would call a sandbox, meaning you could kind of just do whatever you want to. The the loose goal of the game and the loose storyline is that you've landed on this planet, like with a you know, your ship crash landed onto this planet, and you have to build yourself like another rocket ship to get off, right? Mm. So the end game, like when I actually officially won, was once my rocket went off into space. Then it was like, you won, do you want to keep playing or you know, are you done, right? Um, but the the thing is is that because of these conveyor belts and because like you can't have like you know, like if you put one conveyor belt over another, then the items on the conveyor belts merge, right? Like it becomes kind of a some somewhat of a programming and problem solving game. And that like just logistically, like there's a lot of stuff that you have to make in order to like get further in the game and figuring out like, okay, well, how do I route this stuff over here to this stuff over there? Like becomes a bit of a, a mental challenge, you know? And it's the kind of thing I could see programmers getting into. And in fact, when you get further into the game i thought this was really interesting too they introduced new technologies and like one of the technologies is a very simple like logic controller kind of scheme and i've seen videos where people have made like led displays out of lights that are attached to these like logic controllers and stuff like like i can't imagine the amount of work that had gone into stuff like that it reminds me of those minecraft videos where these people make those crazy things with like redstone and and all that oh yeah yeah and and the funny thing is is that the people who developed this said that they they wanted to take like the crafting elements from Minecraft and bring them to the real-time strategy kind of genre from like Command and Conquer. So that's that's actually a big part of this is like you go in the beginning and you cut down a couple of trees and you find some coal and 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 like you know some iron ore and before you know it you've made yourself like some steel and then you're making a furnace and then you're automating the process and you know the stuff that you used to be grabbing by hand is now being like mined by machines that you built. And that's kind of like the it's it's like a wash, rinse, and repeat because you kind of do the same thing a few times over, but it, it doesn't seem to get boring. It seems like every time you think you would get to a point in the game where you're like saturated, that like some new technology comes around that changes it. Like way later in the game, you can build these flying robots, and those flying robots can take like stuff from one place and put it in another, which kind of solves the whole conveyor belt problem I just talked about earlier in the game, like where you can't get things around and stuff like that. So as you're building more complicated things that require more ingredients, those robots are like a huge, uh, a huge time saver and huge part of the game. So anyway, game's called Factorio. It's on Steam. I think it's twenty bucks. Uh, I, I, I don't even want to tell you how many hours I put into this because it's embarrassing. But let me tell you that that twenty dollars is, uh, is a very, very cheap per hour price compared to what you'll get out of it. I think. And there's a free demo, so that's my, uh, that's my non-related Laravel plug that might be interesting for uh, game developers or just developers in general, I guess. Well, I only play games on iOS, and um, <laughs> uh, my game, let me see, where, where is this? Let me find it real fast. The best game ever, Mad Skills MX, <laughs> except is for the Is that the, the bike one? Yeah, motorcycles. I love motorcycles, so I play all the motorcycle games. That's right. Didn't you say before you used to drive a motorcycle? Like, you used to have a motorcycle, right? Yeah, I used to. Um, actually, uh, I raced motor- motocross for probably 15 years of my life, and then I uh, worked at a dealership for 10 years, somewhere in, the, somewhere in there. And then did you, like, did you get into an accident? Did you break your arm or something? Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, that was unrelated. But yeah, I, I've been hurt a lot racing motorcycles. And then I ended up getting hurt the worst ever um, 
on a uh, theater stage, you know, where they have like the orchestra pit. Yeah. Actually, it was, we came in in the back and it was dark and I ended up uh, uh, looking for a light switch. And when I went walking to find the light switch, I fell off and I landed weird on my arm and broke oh, the uh, radial head. I broke it in half and oh. just have, have had a lot of problems out of that. Wow. Wow. That, uh, that was not easy to listen to. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine it was much worse to live through. Yeah. Well, I've had like all five now, surgeries right? on it. No, it, it, my arm don't bend. Um, it's stuck. So, wow. wow. Fun, fun times. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps up our news this week. Um, <laughs> leave on a high note, right? Leave on a high note. Kind of like George Costanza in uh, Seinfeld, right? Like you, you, one good thing, like that's it. I'm walking out. So, all right. Well, uh, Eric, good chatting with you again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for uh, celebrating our first year with us. And uh, we look forward to many things to come. Yep. Have a great week, everybody. This concludes this episode of the Laravel News Podcast. If you like the show, please rate it five stars on iTunes. If you have feedback for the podcast, please email us at podcast at laravel-news.com. Thanks for listening.